Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Pocket Dojo podcast, the show where we talk about making the world a better place by making better things. Hello, I'm Paul Crick. And I'm Asha Singh. If you've been watching the show for a while now, you may have noticed that we're trying a new format and we hope that this one is shorter, sharper and it will inspire you to do one thing differently. Yeah, each week we're going to be looking at one topic um, uh, and we're going to be exploring different ways that you can apply that topic um, after you've listened to the show in your daily working life. What's in store this week, Arsha? Today we're going to be looking at some areas of regenerative practice, uh, not the kind that most of us might think of if we think about regeneration, things like planting new trees or rewilding an area. Instead, we're going to be talking about ways to look at our teams and organisations that can ensure everyone has a chance to flourish. That sounds great, and it's so important today. Let's dive in. It feels like a good place to start is to try and define regeneration. What does it mean in your view, Arsha? Well, I think actually regeneration means a lot of different things, Paul, to different people uh, in different situations, uh, different places, etc. So maybe it's more useful to have quite a broad description of what it means to regenerate um, because it changes from one context to another. Uh, personally, I think regeneration is about creating the conditions for life to flourish, whether that's you, me, uh, in our environment. It's all about people in place over time how we learn and adapt together. I think it was in episode four, we talked about taking a walk in a forest or another natural ecosystem where different species of flora and fauna live side by side. They're obviously both uh, individuals of their species and part of that, that bigger group that is a species. Um, sometimes they are in symbiosis, so in other words, they cooperate, they're supportive of one another. And other times um, they're really competitive. You know, it's not all sweetness and light, let's say, in, in any kind of natural ecosystem. So obviously, you know, those that can uh, flourish are the ones that can adapt uh, as quickly and as well as possible as conditions in the forest change. Those are the ones that are going to survive. So what about technology and artificial intelligence? So that's a massive topic, isn't it? And I can't yeah. by any means you know, claim to be an expert in, in any sense on either of those. But um, for me, technology or tech technology should, should be an evolving set of tools that uh, helps biological and social life to flourish instead of something that is either you know, controlling us or future-proofing us in some way, which is often uh, you know, what people might want it to be. That obviously includes AI, um, which as far as I know, and, and I, you know, again, I repeat, I'm not an expert by any means, um, seems to be currently focused mainly on achieving narrow goals. So, you know, in other words, how do you do something uh, specific? You know, how do you, I don't know, have better diagnostic data for something, for example. Um, it's not looking at the whole system that is, is health let's say. Um, you know, maybe this is a, a good topic to talk about in future episodes as it's so, you know, important for us and particularly thinking about the future. Um, maybe we can have some guests on that, you know, know a lot more about it than, than certainly I do. Mm -hmm. 
So what about uh, regenerative practice? What kinds of things should we be thinking about? Um, I think there are several boards, broad areas even of practice that could be really useful to consider. Um, firstly, perhaps, you know, the most essential is that we nurture our relationships. Um, even if we prefer to be alone or live alone or work alone, whatever, we obviously don't exist in a vacuum. Um, we have relationships with each other and all the different contexts that, you know, we move through. Um, and going back to that, the example, you know, of the forest, uh, the natural ecosystem that we talked about in episode four, um, as we move through different contexts, they shape us and we move that uh, we shape them rather, um, you know, we arrive in the present moment as the fruit of all of our experience and everything that's happened to us to date. And we're all different, you know, we're not the same or one as, as we often hear is the case today. Yes, variety or diversity is the spice of life, as they say. It might sound like a no-brainer, but why do you feel it's important to nourish our relationships? Well, I think there are lots of reasons, you know, so we need each other, even if we're, we're solitary, introverted, or whatever, we're actually um, social animals. We don't all need to be really extroverted. Um, then there's too much that's going on in the world, you know, today. It's all too entangled, so it's all too connected um, to make good sense of it by ourselves. So it's something that we really have to do together. And then obviously, you know, when we work in an organisation, we can't just do what the heck we like. Well, plus relationships aren't just people in place. They're also about connecting dots between different things, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when we do that, it's possible to start seeing the patterns of thinking and behaviour and therefore address them if, you know, there's something that we think we need to do differently. Um, for example, you know, we've created largely um, organisations that want to grow uh, scale and become robust so that they can weather, you know, the frequent storms that, that seem to happen uh, more and more often today. But that's not really a, a very wise way to develop resilience if we look to nature or to be able to adapt when, you know, we need to. So, for example, it's really important, really useful that we learn from people who have very di different perspectives to us. Uh, you know, that can be really valuable as hard as, as it might be in practice. Yes, true. So what else should we consider? So, you know, as we surface those patterns of thinking uh, and behaviour, those patterns that connect us, I think it's really important that we tell the truth about what we see, you know, not what people want to hear, uh, and that we make it the norm, you know, make it the usual kind of practice to do so. So we, we seem to still have quite a lot of illusions about how nature works so that you know, for example, we, we still believe we can have unlimited economic growth on a planet where what we use to fuel that growth, so the natural resources that we use, whether they're fossil fuels or materials that we use to make, you know, all kinds of stuff, all of those resources are finite. And, you know, we're well aware that, that we're using them up at a much uh, quicker pace than, than they can, you know, um, renew themselves. Um, and then you know something quite different but cancel culture isn't the answer either so you know just get rid of everything that's destroying the planet or we don't like in our history or people that don't agree with us you know so that we can feel better about the world that we live in um to my mind at least and you know i'm sure not just mine but that feels like a, a really big projection of fear 
uh, and you know about the uncertainty of the future which is understandable but not particularly helpful um, and a lot of people also feeling really guilty about the present they look around them and you know don't like what they see and and the part that's perhaps more difficult and and most important that we address kind of bring to the surface and do something about is uh, shame about the past <laughs> Okay, those are big ideas and concepts that don't necessarily interest everyone, especially when they're busy at work every day. How can we bring that abstract view into concrete daily life, Asha? Well, trust is, you know, often an issue in our organisations, isn't it? Mm. Um, and likewise, you know, it's getting harder for us as consumers and as citizens to trust the people in the organisations who are supposed to be providing what we need to live well in society. Um, you know, for sure, it can be really difficult to tell the truth, but how can we improve trust if we don't? Uh, you know, we often talk, I mean, I often talk in, in you know, the teams that I work with, it's impossible to trust people who wear masks, you know, for the situation in which they find themselves or the partic uh, polit particular political current that they, you know, want to, to jump on board with, let's say. Exactly. It becomes difficult. We can't trust them. So nourishing relationships where we can tell the truth makes sense. So what's next? So when we are able to find our authentic voice and tell the truth, uh, especially to power, we step into our own. So I think, you know, discovering or rediscovering our personal power, as the case may be, is really important as well. We can't make difficult decisions or transform things, you know, around us, areas of life, our organisations that really need to be regenerated if, if we're not in our own power. Um, and as we've talked about, touched on really in, in previous episodes, change and transformation begin within, you know, from the inside out. So we as individuals have to choose and then do our own work, uh, you know, both individually and together. Definitely. So another really useful aspect then in order to do our own work is to zoom in and out. Uh, what does that mean? So, you know, if we slow down and pay uh, enough attention or pay attention closely enough to our experience and in particular the stories that we tell about it, we can become aware quite easily, I think, of the fact that what we notice outside ourselves is often a reflection of our inner world. Not always, um, but often. In a particular work, not in sort of really extreme situations, it's a bit different. So I think it's really helpful to do that, and particularly when we disagree strongly with other people about things. Uh, you know, they can the, the disagreement can get hot really quickly and easily escalate out of, out of control. I think we see that you know more and more, particularly as people are quite overwhelmed, um, you know, by a lot of what's going on around them. And then before we know it, we're in really big conflict. We can see that everywhere around the world as well. Yes, that's sorry. Go on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, if we get to a deep enough um, level of dialogue, so in other words, we get to a point where we realise, or even better, we, we directly experience that actually we want the same things. You know, the edges start to blur between us and there's a flow of shared feeling. So that helps us to release emotions or, you know, like that expression that comes from one of my clients, actually, um, about elephants in the room. You know, there's something that you can't talk about, but it's there and it's taking up a load of space. 
um, and you want to get rid of it. So, you know, when we do realise that we want the same things, that's a lot easier, I think. Dialogue is often a challenge. We're too busy listening to respond and to justify our own positions sometimes. Yes, but, you know, I think we can learn to have the kind of dialogue, you know, like we were just talking about, that helps to reframe our challenges um, and see what's realistically possible to address rather than some kind of, you know, lofty, aspirational ideal, as ambitious as it might be, to aspire to. Um, and then it's much easier to, to, you know, see where we should use what we have available, our energy, our resources, whatever it might be. So in other words, we find our individual and collective accordance and agency. And as we do those things, it's also possible to see, I think, that there's a much deeper flow to life than we're usually aware of. Um, we can all become much more present in the moment, which I think, you know, is also what your grace framework is about, and, and be our authentic selves. And, um, it makes me think of, of the famous Austrian psychoanalyst, analyst even, uh, perhaps not what you might first <laughs> associate work with, but I think, you know, this view is, is really valuable. Um, so I'm talking about Carl Jung, um, and he described the phenomenon of synchronicity. So nothing magical or, you know, spiritual or anything like that in that way, but just as something that occurs outside of us in the very moment, really, or, you know, very close to when we're thinking about it uh, inside. Um, so honestly, it's really magic to explain, to experience that kind of spontaneous opportunity happening naturally in the outside world when we've set clear intentions, uh, you know, about things that are really important for us. And perhaps the most wonderful thing about it is that that's available to everybody. That does sound wonderful. Um, do we need to consider these areas of practice in the order that you've actually described them, Arsha? I don't think so, Paul. You know, I think we have to start where we are with whatever's most alive and pressing for us at this moment. I've got a sense that these different coloured strands of practice weaving together in a kind of basket or container for regeneration, that we can begin to create that basket with any of the colours and we need all of them to make something beautiful and strong that can last. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's actually one final uh, colour, let's say, to mention, which is composting and hospicing. So, uh, you know, a bit like turning over or preparing, turning over the ground during the winter for anybody that has a garden or likes to have, you know, some pot plants at home, or whatever, um, so that the seeds of new things can sprout and take root in the spring. So, you know, in other words, following the natural flow of the seasons. Except that obviously, you know, in our organisations, that can happen throughout the year as we drop an old identity. You know, we're not the person that we used to be. We've learned something new. Um, there's new meaning is coming through conversations, through dialogue. And, uh, you know, we can try out new ways of, of being and doing stuff. Um, and then, of course, you know, rest is really important. Um, it's really important that we take good care of ourselves. Uh, you know, lift up our own energy so that we can meet another in in open, you know, harmonious ways that really enable the real collective um, transformation to take place. So what regenerative stories can you share from your own work, Asha? Uh, well, 
Um, last year, I worked with a large team in a um, mature organi uh, industrial organization. Um, just a little bit of kind of context. Uh, that organization, I think like many others, had decided to reduce uh, staff, the number of staff during the pandemic. Um, and they decided that it was really important that they kept quite a lot of their uh, technical knowledge, uh, you know, so that they could restart, let's say, when, when things change, when the pandemic was going to be over. Um, and so they kept a lot of, of older staff, older employees, um, you know, who'd been in the business for a long time and, and then could easily, you know, pick that up when, when conditions changed. And uh, when they did change, they also hired a lot of much younger uh, far more digitally savvy, uh, you know, people who who had quite different values and priorities to the existing workforce. Um, so that was sort of in the background. And then uh, a few years ago, this uh, team had had an experience, an incident, which was not resolved through confidential HR practices, etc. Um, and was still having an effect, uh, even though the fact that you know some of the people that had directly been involved had actually left the organization uh, there was a lot of unwellness yeah. actually in the people that were you know still there it was quite a, a tricky situation um so the people that had been directly involved um you know there was there was stress there was real stress and unwellness etc as i say some of them had already left so that was sort of one part of the team that i encountered when i i started to work with them um, then there were, you know, some other colleagues who were not directly involved, but had been around long enough, you know, maybe they hadn't been there for, for 20 odd years, but they'd been around long enough to, to be still impacted, let's say, because there was lots of tension and stress and whatever. Um, but they were not directly involved and they didn't necessarily know exactly what had happened. And then there was, you know, the larger part of the team were, were new, like I just described, and actually had you know, little to no idea about what was going on in the organisation. So this kind of explosive mix of, of you know, different experiences of ultimately of the same, you know, kind of situation as such a daily life. Um, and they couldn't talk about it because it was, you know, in, in, in a confidential HR process, but it was threatening to escalate into industrial tribunal, which is why they, they wanted some help. So, um, you know, we couldn't address the situation head on. Um, I knew it was really important that they, uh, you know, could renew their trust. So the relationships, like we said, really at the heart of, of everything that they needed to do. They also needed to step, or some of them needed to step into their, you know, own power and, and tell the truth about certain things. While all of this was protected by, by, you know, this HR process, which we were, I was also going to respect for sure. Um, so we decided not to to address the we couldn't address the situation head on, uh, and when we were co-designing or preparing, you know, the the two day I think it was workshop that we were going to do, we decided to um, to begin really with some activities where they could just deepen their connection and relax and you know have a bit of fun together, and um, you know start to develop trust, right? Um, but. Obviously, you know, inevitably, things started to come out um, and they came out quite hotly. So not, you know, details of the incident itself. Everybody was respectful about that. But their frustrations, their emotions, basically what they were describing as the elephant in the room. 
uh, all that stuff that they couldn't talk about you know um so we arrived at a point honestly paul in the in the the, the workshop when it was just time to have a conversation about safety so not safety you know that was the, the the issue that had happened before um but but psychological safety so in other words how people could feel safe enough and and confident enough in this group of people to talk about what they were really feeling especially those that had been directly involved and it got really quite nasty um and you know it was an amazing conversation it's that kind of thing doesn't happen that often so at least not for me um you know quite strong and difficult emotions were released and we're you know we're not talking about like industrial guys you know rolling up their sleeves and all that kind of stuff but it was it was really powerful for them actually so you know emotions came out there people started to really understand different points of view and perspective and stuff which was so key um and and they really let you know you just described about releasing the the elephant in the room they really let this poor elephant go back to the savannah where it had come from um and uh, you know it was it was great actually to to have that kind kind of conversation and they found it really valuable in particular so they went away smiling and laughing and you know feeling so much better and some of them had you know taken time off work for sickness and stress and burnout and whatever um so they all went away you know happy much happier and also having had a really fruitful conversation about what to do differently in the future it was great that sounds fantastic well done thank you so what would you suggest a leader or team could do if they find themselves in a similar situation i think the issue of psychological safety is a big one in many teams and many organizations yeah absolutely um i guess you know come at it sideways just like we did in that situation um, you know, get somebody to really help you to facilitate that dialogue that's really important, but make sure that you have it. Make it fun, uh, make it light and still have a really serious conversation. You know, as I say, they were, that, that particular one was really uh, hot and emotional and, and needed, actually. Um, you know, come at it sideways, I think, is, is basically what I would suggest. How about you? Because I think that, that makes me think of grace, the grace framework as well. Yeah, I think, um, well, I'm tempted to say it's easy to do, but obviously it depends on the personalities in the room. Um, but you could definitely try something from the, the GRACE framework. So the easiest thing to do uh, is to get people to move, to ground themselves, um, both individually and also collectively, simply by standing up and moving uh, around the room. Uh, by working in pairs and as a collective, we can run some very simple exercises to help people physically tune into each other and then encourage people to begin the conversation from a standing position which tends to be much more open and expansive and therefore less defensive yeah fantastic so today we've introduced some important areas of regenerative practice that we'll look at in much more detail in future episodes as always you can read more about these topics in our posts on substack you can find paul's at the pocket dojo and mine at learning through doing join us again in two weeks time for episode eight when we're going to start talking about team development as a practice 
You can watch the Pocket Dojo podcast on all your favourite channels and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. See you soon. Bye for now.